Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. In ancient times, when a people or nation was conquered, the new rulers obliterated the history of the vanquished. Prior to the availability of printed books, history was passed from one generation to the next orally, on written scrolls, or carved in stone on monuments and shrines. The conquering armies routinely destroyed statues, sanctuaries, tombs, and any physical trace of the previous civilization. It is written in the book of Exodus, beginning with verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of this land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And that's, of course, from the New King James Version of the Bible. After Joseph saved the Egyptian people from famine, the children of Israel were welcomed into Egypt and became valued members of Egyptian society. Many years later, a tribe from the south conquered Egypt, and in a heartbeat, the children of Israel became scapegoats and slaves to the new rulers. In pursuit of their agenda to create a one-world collectivist tyranny, the elite globalist must first destroy American history, ignore the philosophy of our founders, and outlaw our foundational concepts of private property, self-protection, and individual rights. American history is the anchor that binds each of us to American culture. And the collectivists are desperate to separate us from the traditions that guarantee our freedom. They tear down our statues, falsely condemn dissent as racism, denounce our founders as white supremacists, refuse to teach true American history in the schools, and ban books, films, television programs, and public figures at will often 
for the most deceptive and unfounded reasons. In conjunction with the Department of Defense, the Naming Commission has recommended that the military strip the names of Confederate officers and heroes from our military assets. A vocal and ambivalent minority has embarked on a vicious attack against American history. They have fought long and hard, have lobbied those in power, and have championed the cause to change the names of military bases, naval vessels, and historic flags. In other words, all things connected with Southern valor displayed on the field of battle during the war between the states are to be purged. These actions raise serious doubts as to whether young Southerners are welcome in today's military. Historians have incessantly warned us not to disregard the lessons of history, lest we repeat failures that could have been avoided. Nevertheless, humanity has habitually and often flagrantly ignored past mistakes, regardless of how costly or disastrous. A sober retrospective evaluation of man's history, however, teaches us a valuable lesson. Not everyone disregards the past. Evil never sleeps. After our commercial break, we will return with our guest on Freedom Forum Radio, Donnie Kennedy, the Lieutenant Commander-in-Chief of the National Sons of Confederate Blood. We're back, and this is Dr. Dan, and we're back with uh, Donnie Kennedy, and he is, of course, as I told you before, the Lieutenant Commander-in-Chief, the National Sons of Confederate Veterans. Donnie Kennedy, welcome as a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. Dan, it's a wonderful honor and pleasure to be with you. I stand shoulder to shoulder with all those who are fighting for freedom and protecting the traditional values of America. And that is what we are all about. And I'm just delighted to be on your program. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. And I think we ought to start off uh, our discussion with uh, let's talk about the history of the decades prior to the War of Northern Aggression, specifically what government acts justified secession? Yeah. Well, one of the things that most people don't realize that that really the North and the South has always been two different distinct sections of the country. And uh, culture has a lot to do with conflict. Uh, the Southern culture was so different than the uh, the. Uh, uh, the North American uh, uh, story of the war between the states. So uh, as as I've said before, there's two different cultures. And when the North and the South first met, it, I love to tell people about when John Adams, the founding father from Massachusetts, first met Southerners at the Continental Congress. He wrote back to Abigail, his wife, and said, these people are so different from us that it will be very difficult to maintain a government with people so unlike each other. So culture has a lot to do with conflict. Now, 
Go back to why was there such a difference? Well, even in the beginning of this nation, after the Constitutional Convention and after the Constitution was adopted, the uh, Northern industrial and commercial interests had a desire to sail the Mississippi River to Spain so that the commerce would not go down the Mississippi River and into the uh, hands of the uh, Spanish and the Southerners and to keep everything going to the East Coast. Patrick Henry declared that if this was allowed, that the states of the South had to withdraw. So, uh, Dr. Dan, that just shows us how in the beginning, this is at the very beginning, we had conflicts. It was based in cultural, it was based in agriculture, it's based in commerce. The difference in the sections was just so, so obvious. Now, when we get the government of the federal government started, all of a sudden people began to realize if I can control that government, just like today, if I can control that government, I can funnel money into my group of people at the expense of another group of people. And that's when we started having the tariff issues, the whether or not the votes of the people would vote for money to be sent up north out of southern pockets. Prior to the war, I think it was 70 to 75 percent of all the revenue raised for the federal government was raised out of southern pockets. And in most of that money, revenue was spent for what was called internal improvements up north. So the South was being bled by the North and the Southerners resisted this. This was all before slavery became an issue. And that's what people must understand. During the uh, War of 1812, for example, more Southerners volunteered to fight for this country than Northerners. Same thing in the Mexican War. Mississippi volunteered more troops to defend this nation during the Mexican War than all of the New England states combined. Yet, when it came time to give pensions, they noticed that the Northern soldiers was getting more pensions than Southerners primarily because Southerners felt like it was their patriotic duty and they didn't feel like the government owed them. But here again, we see the difference that was between the North and South. It was not necessarily solely a one-issue slavery caused the war issue, which so many people nowadays like to focus on. Well, what you've brought up uh, is really kind of interesting to me, is that that there was a natural difference between the North and the South, whether it was the climate, whether it was who know what it was, but for some reason, industry uh, developed and commerce was developed up North. They, 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 oil was discovered up North. There were factories up North. Uh, all of these things that dealt with emerging industry was up North. Whereas without the South, a lot of people wouldn't have been eating because more, most of the food production came from the South. Normally, sane people and reasonable people would say, this is a great system. We can all cooperate and everyone gets what they right. need. But right. I think what we've seen in this, in this little piece of history, which you have portrayed so well, is that some people just never have enough money. They just never have enough money. And that's what the robber barons in the North, the, the wealthy industrialists in the North, they just couldn't get enough money for themselves. It's not that they were giving it to everybody else. Their workers were 
treated worse than slaves in many cases. Uh, they were really abused. And so all to make, to put money in their own pockets, they wanted to uh, stack the deck against the South. Isn't that kind of how you see it? Absolutely. And it's interesting you made that statement about the difference in the culture between the working of the North and the South. Uh, one historian, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name now, but he used to say that the difference between the North and the South is that the Northerners seem to live to work whereas Southerners work to live. In other words, Southerners enjoyed the fruit of their labor, but it was the enjoyment that they was after and not the work, whereas the Northerners were like honeybees, worker bees, always work, work, work. And one uh, historian said that a Northerner would never eat anything he could sell, whereas a Southerner would never sell anything that he could eat. So it was a different in culture. And that's what John Adams noticed in, noticed in 1775. That's what he wrote to his, his wife. These people are so different from us. And he was correct. John Adams was correct. So you had a difference that was noticeable. Personally, I would think that the when you live in a city, um, I think that changes your outlook on life. Yes. Uh, everything I've read about the history of the northern cities uh, in the early 1800s, they were terrible. Uh, yes. It was it was zones of terrible poverty, uh, poverty, poverty, and oppression. Uh, what in terms of the jobs these people had, they were forced to work many, many hours. There was child labor. There was all kinds of terrible things up north. And you compare that to living like we live now down here on the farm, uh, in out in nature, enjoying uh, the wonderful emotional and social benefits of living on the land. And uh, Dan, you, you're making a good point that a lot of people don't realize you don't have to be a farmer to have an agrarian mentality. And the Southerners, even like myself, I'm not a farmer, but I live out on land and I have a little bit of things that I do and I have to stay connected with the land. Even in the cities, in the suburbs of the South, if you discount the Northerners in the suburbs, people are still have an agrarian mindset. So that's the agrarian mindset as opposed to the industrial uh, honeybee work, work, work mentality of the Yankee is still in existence today, but it existed from the beginning of this nation. And if anyone's ever interested, uh, uh, Albion Seed is a great book that talks about the ways, the cultural patterns of the development of the 13 original colonies. Uh, I forget the gentleman's name, but the book is called Albion Seed, and it shows how the North was settled by two different folk uh, groups and the South, another two different folk groups, and that was the the genesis of the division between the North and South culturally. So let's talk about some of the things that the Northern industrialists did uh, that economically impacted the South. Can you explain? Obviously, there was a, a tariff issue, the tariff of abominations. Right. right. Well, can you explain that so that my listeners can understand yeah. how did that benefit the North and harm the South? 
Okay. To begin with, it was more than just the tariff. Uh, the North was using its power in Congress to force things such as uh, the shipment. Right now, uh, you can ship things from California to New York in any vessel you want to, whether it's foreign or U.S., Back then, before the war, uh, Northerners were making it so that anybody that shipped anything would have to use Northern vessels. Northern shipping industries were given a, 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 a bounty on their work from the out of the federal treasury. Now, remember, go back to what I stated earlier. Even uh, Senator Benton from uh, 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 Missouri in 1850 said that the South is giving more revenue to the federal government than any section of the country, 70 to 80 percent. He said this revenue is disproportionately being sent to northern elements, whether it's business or in the, uh, internal improvements. And this was sucking wealth from the South and transferring it to the North. Then you add on the tariffs that the North was placing. Let's just say boots. If you want to buy a set of boots, to import boots from England without a heavy tariff, Southerners can get them cheaper from England than from Northern industry. The North had passed tariffs so that anything imported into this country, you'd have to pay a tariff on. Well, that made the Products that's being exported from the South, such as cotton and and all your agricultural products, more expensive in the in 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 England, and then goods coming into the South was costing more. So the South was having to pay that tariff. That money was then collected and sent up north. So what we have is what I call a, uh, a fascist type of government, an embryonic fascist government, where government and industry is working hand in hand to plunder a certain group of people. And the South felt like they were being plundered. And this is really more than any other issue, the, the genesis of the war between the states. The South felt like it was being now, many people, like I say, will myopically look at one issue and try to make a univariant issue out of the war. It was all about slavery. No, it was every war that you can name had a multifaceted uh, issues that caused the war. This, the war between the states is no different. Uh, how the government was to be governed, states' rights or not, not states' rights, uh, taxes, tariffs, the distribution of those taxes and tariffs, war, plundering, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to react to uh, various uh, international uh, activities? All of these things were going on, and it was not just about slavery. Now, when we get to slavery, most Americans nowadays are taught that the slavery issue is simply this. The North wanted to free the slaves. The South wanted to keep people in bondage forever. That is a total misrepresentation of the issue of slavery. My great-grandfather was a Confederate soldier. He and 90% of his fellow Confederate soldiers never owned a slave. They were not fighting so that they or some rich plantation owner could own a slave. But the slavery issue and how that was politicized by the Yankees was a very strong issue. And a lot of that had to do with the uh, Haitian revolt where so many, well, essentially uh, 
half, if not all, the white population in Haiti was exterminated during the Haitian uh, slave revolt. And the North was trying to stimulate the same thing, John Brown's uh, issue. And they was trying to push the same thing. So that was part of the slavery issue. How do you get rid of slavery is another thing. How do you prepare these slaves to be ready for freedom? Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, had a wonderful statement when he said that uh, slaves should be prepared for freedom and made them unfit for slavery. So Davis, taking the high road to emancipation as well as other Southern states, that was another issue in the slavery issue. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is a moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. joy in everything. Everything. Everything.